So we continue our journey with uh, Jacob and the pursuit of blessing and reading today from Genesis 28 and verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food and eat to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So did you get a good sleep last night? I hope you did. You know, Sunday mornings are actually pretty good for sleeping in these days. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not really any reason to rush out to a morning service. And if you're not a solid sleeper or you're a, a night owl, uh, a late morning snooze is not necessarily a bad thing. It actually beats falling asleep during the sermon. You know, an old friend of mine often works long days and the concerns of his business often make it hard for him to fall asleep. And so he keeps an old MP3 player <clears throat> by his bed and he puts on the earphones at bedtime but he doesn't listen to soft music to put him to sleep. He listens to a series of philosophy lectures by a university professor. He says the drone of the speaker's voice and the content of the lectures is better than any sleeping pill. <laughs> it puts him to sleep every time. You know, most of us actually spend a full one-third of our lifetime sleeping. And strange and wonderful things happen when we sleep. Dreaming is really only one of them. Sleep itself is a kind of mysterious ministry to us that renews us body and soul. And if we decide to short circuit or short change that ministry of, of sleep and don't give it enough hours, we can actually start to lose some of our psychological and emotional equilibrium. Lack of sleep can limit our ability to think effectively. And so sleep is a ministry to us, but it's also an expression of faith 
from us. Solomon writes in Psalm 127, verse 2, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You know, sometimes we think that we can't afford to sleep very much because we're so busy running our world or we're just taking ourselves too seriously. But if we're trusting God to run things, then we can afford to sleep. We can afford to let ourselves pass into unconsciousness for a time. David, the psalm writer, says in Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. So sleep is a ministry to us, and falling asleep really just expresses our faith that God will take care of things while we're asleep. But dreaming is the mysterious part of sleep. And, you know, our, our dreams can be good. They can be good dreams, or they, we can have bad dreams. Good dreams we're reluctant to wake up from, and bad dreams, well, we're relieved to wake up from. But usually, either, either way, they don't make a lot of sense once we're awake. I have a recurring dream where I'm up here preaching, but I've totally forgotten what I was going to say, and people are getting up and heading for the door. And Well, that's a bad dream. But dreams often have meanings that can be traced to the events and the concerns of our day. Sigmund Freud called dreams the day's residue, and that is that dreams kind of mop up the unfinished business of our day. But Christian psychologist Stephen Anderson says that dreams sometimes help us to understand ourselves and even provide an impetus for change. He says that although Scripture is always God's direct word to us, God may sometimes use our dreams to communicate something. You know, in the Bible, lots of times God used uh, dreams and, and visions. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Joseph, Solomon, Daniel, and Isaiah all have God-given dreams and visions. And in the New Testament, it's Joseph and Zechariah and Peter and Ananias and, and John that have them. But one of the most significant dreamers in the Bible is Jacob, the the dreamer and schemer whose, whose story we've been following for the last two Sundays. Now, Jacob had cheated his brother Esau out of his, out of his birthright and his blessing. And now in Genesis 28, he has to leave home in a hurry because his brother has threatened to kill him. And so weighed down by guilt and terrified by his brother's anger, Jacob is quietly sent off by his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, to his mother's ancestral home, 400 miles away. And so Jacob will have to walk from his home in Beersheba all the way to Haran in Mesopotamia in order to find himself and to find God. Just as his father, his grandfather, Abraham, had to walk from Haran to Beersheba to discover God's purpose for his life. And so Jacob's journey is Abraham's journey in reverse. Except that uh, Jacob, well, he's journeying alone. He's journeying as a fugitive. He's running for his life. And so if Abraham was a biblical picture of faith in action, we'll see that Jacob is a biblical picture of God's grace in action. Now, Jacob doesn't know it yet, but God is geographically separating him 
from his passive father and his manipulative mother and his competitive brother so that he can have an encounter with God. You know, some of us, when we were younger, also had to maybe go off somewhere to get away from home and family for a while to provide a little separation there. Uh, maybe like Jacob, we left home under a cloud of guilt or uneasiness. Maybe things weren't going so good at home. Or maybe like me, you, you just had to go and find yourself. At least that's what we, what we thought we were doing. And maybe in the process, we unexpectedly found God too, as I did. You know, you're on the run and you run into God. <laughs> well, that was Jacob. I mean, just a few days into his journey here, he arrives in this kind of nameless place. He's tired and lonely. He can't go back and he doesn't know what lies ahead. And it says he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, that's not just a descriptive detail here. It actually captures Jacob's overall situation here. I mean, he was heading into a long, dark night of exile from the land of his inheritance. And so he, he lies down for the night, and all he's got for a pillow is a stone. I mean, Jacob's probably the guy who came up with the saying about being stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> But stones actually play an important part in Jacob's story. As we'll see, he sleeps on a stone. He sets up a memorial of stone. Later on, he lifts heavy stones, and then he wrestles on stones. Stones become the theme of his life journey. I think if he had a personalized T-shirt, it would have a picture of a stone on it because he's always contending with hard, unyielding things. So here, Jacob falls asleep on a stone in what seems to be a stony, God-forsaken kind of place. He has no expectation that this is going to be the defining moment of his life because Jacob's a guy who, you know, he likes to be in control of the things that happen in his life. But when he's asleep, he's not in control. He's vulnerable while he's sleeping, and he's helpless to direct and control his own dreams. And so his dream here is completely at the initiative of God. It's a God-given vision. And it says that in the dream, Jacob saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now that's a good dream. We usually refer to this dream as Jacob's ladder, but it's not so much a ladder. It's actually more like a, like a ramp. You know, it's a great staircase stretching from heaven down to earth. So why a stairway to heaven? What does it mean? Well, Led Zeppelin's famous song won't tell us, <laughs> but the Bible can help us to interpret the dream. You see, long before Jacob's time, back in Genesis chapter 11, there was a time when people forgot about God, and they all got together, and it says in verse 4a of chapter 11, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. So there on the plain of Shinar, they began building this massive structure called a ziggurat there in the, in the Middle East. 
we usually refer to it as the, the Tower of Babel. And it was, it was an attempt by human effort and ingenuity to, to reach up to God, like a stairway to heaven there. Or more likely, it was just a proud plan to break through the gates of heaven. But it tells us that God put an end to that work, you know, by confusing the people's language and scattering them over the face of the earth. And so the Tower of Babel has ever since been a symbol of man's stubborn, sinful, prideful, and fruitless efforts to save himself and climb his way up to being like God. But the stairway to heaven in Jacob's dream is not a picture of human effort. I mean, Jacob himself had no part in building it or climbing it or even imagining it. It's purely a picture of God's grace built not from earth up to heaven, but freely extended from heaven down to earth by God. It's God's stairway. And those angels, his messengers there, are a picture of the gospel of grace. So it's a vision that affirms God's love and forgiveness to his rebellious, undeserving, but chosen children. So as Jacob is dreaming of this stairway, he hears the Lord's voice reaffirming the covenant that was made with Abraham there to bless all people through his offspring and promising then to be with Jacob and to protect him and to bring him home again to the promised land. The good news here is that God doesn't expect us to work our way to the top of that ladder where he'll only welcome us once we've achieved some kind of perfection. No, instead he meets us right where we are. No matter where we are, to bring us to himself. And that's grace. And Jesus is that stairway to heaven. You know, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus is busy there calling his first disciples. And he meets a guy named Nathaniel. And he says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus sees Nathaniel as a, a true son of Israel, who's not like the original Israel, Jacob, but one who, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And then Jesus says to him in John 1, verse 51b, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus himself is the stairway to heaven and the only way to God. So Jacob arrived in that desert place as a fugitive, fleeing for his life. He thought this was just some ordinary kind of place, but God's presence made it an extraordinary place. And when he wakes up from the dream, he says, how awesome is this place? To him, that place had become that, that thin space between heaven and earth, where heaven and earth almost touch and where he discovers the presence and the grace of God. And it becomes to him the gate of heaven. And so he takes that stone that he rested his head on, and he sets it up as a kind of a a memorial pillar. And he calls that place Bethel, the house of God. And so from now on, he's no longer a fugitive. He's now a pilgrim, 
And the rest of his life will be a pilgrimage, a long journey to the holy city with the holy God. You see, when you and I encounter Jesus Christ and accept him as our stairway to heaven, we too don't just continue on our journey as fugitives on the run. Our desperate running stops and we become pilgrims who begin a lifelong journey with God. And so Jacob continues on his journey, but his spirit has been transformed. He's a different person. His eyes have been opened to see beyond the, the physical surroundings there. And this hard place has been transformed into a, a sanctuary, into a place of worship. And so he sets up that stone like a small replica stairway as a witness and a monument to his encounter with God. So it's a pivotal point of transition in his life, like when we encounter Christ in our life. And then he makes a vow of faithfulness and obedience to God. And though you'll notice that this vow he makes is conditional, he uses the word if. I mean, Jacob is still Jacob here. It sounds like he's still trying to strike a kind of a bargain. And he says to God in verses 20 to 22, if you will be with me, if you will protect me, if you will provide for me and return me to my father's house, then you will be my God. But the fact is, God has already promised him this. So maybe he's just affirming it in his own way. And that's just because Jacob is still Jacob. He hasn't fully comprehended God's amazing grace. And so he's still trying to Cut a deal with God. You know, our lives too are not immediately perfected when we come to Christ. We have a journey to take, but, but God accepts us right where we're at and we begin that journey of transformation with him. God also accepts Jacob right where he's at here, knowing that he, he still has a long way to go. Maybe you have come to a desolate and rocky place in your life your resources seem to run out your future looks uncertain you can't go back and you don't feel you can stay where you are and you wonder how you'll get the strength to go on come to a place where it seems the possibilities have all run out but God is in the business of opening up possibilities and of transforming difficult places into places of worship places of transformation the story of Jacob tells us that there is another world, a world that has broken into this world. It tells us that there is another way, and the Lord is, is actually in this place, and that you have a future in him. It's really only up to you to personally respond here to Jesus, to the one who is the stairway to heaven. Not enough just to hear the Bible story not enough just to enjoy Christian fellowship. God calls each and every one of us to a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. To follow him. Well, Jacob expresses his commitment to God by saying at the end here, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And this is just his way of saying, God, I'm going to begin to trust you. That's his way of saying that. 
Well, the effect of God's grace communicated through the dream of a a stairway to heaven was to transform and change Jacob ultimately from a manipulative go-getter to a a generous go-giver. And in a similar way, the grace of God demonstrated through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, will transform us too. Jesus laid down his life for us, not in a dream, but in real life, so that he could be our stairway to heaven. So Lord, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us right where we are. Nothing special about the place we're in, whether we're in this building or whether we're at home. But your dwelling place is among your worshiping people. We pray that we would see Jesus as our meeting place with God. Let him be the gate of heaven as our eyes are open to see him. And may we say, like Jacob, how awesome is this place. Amen.